people who haven't been for a while. Thank Welcome. You. It's lovely to have you here this morning. Um, so it feels uh, almost a shame. Amy is going to lead us in worship this morning, this and we have a guest speaker today, which is really rather wonderful. Um, and so I should morning, introduce her later uh, I'm on. Delighted. Um, so yeah, we I will have, stop um, rambling on. A uh, guest speaker with us we'll this morning the Lord to speak together. to us okay. on Ruth and Naomi. So our worship Father, will we continue thank you in a different morning, vein. So can I invite you, Juliet, to come and stand here? Together to worship. I don't know if you've met Juliet before. Everyone, but our vicar Jonathan has the great privilege of being married to Juliet. And so, and this and group would not be into being without Juliet because she started it, I think, must be about 15 Amen. years ago. Mm. I think so. And just so, um, wearing and she left badge. us. If you don't know who I am, my name is Caroline. Ago now to do new things. And Amy, over to you. Over from you. It's still going. The Lord is very gracious. So, I'm going to pray for you and then over to you. Brilliant. So. Father, we thank you so much for Juliet. We thank you for her many gifts and all that she is in you. And we pray, Lord, that as she speaks to us this morning, her words would be your heart. And uh, through her, Lord, we would draw closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much. And how lovely to be back here. Thank you. Great to see some very familiar faces and very lovely to see some newer faces. So... If you don't know me, do come and say hello to me afterwards. I would really love to just connect with you. Um, so th I think in Oasis you're looking at relationships this term, which is brilliant because really relationship is right at the heart of human longing. We're all looking for relationships that bring love and life and belonging to us. And the story of Ruth um, and Naomi um, is just that wonderful story of how when we are true to our spiritual journey, um, when we come alongside each other in the ups and downs of life, and when we commit to each other for the long haul, we can truly enrich and enable one another. And so I've really just loved diving into this story over the last couple of weeks. It's, it's been good for me. I hope it will be good for you. Um, you're probably familiar with the story, but I'm gonna, um, we're going to watch um, the Bible Project's um, seven-minute video which does an overview of the whole story because actually we're just going to stay in Ruth 1. I'd love to spend, you know, several hours looking at the whole book. Maybe you will one day, but um, let's just watch this and that will, for those that aren't familiar, it will just give you a kind of a snapshot of what this book is all about. Um, and we can't possibly do it justice um, just this morning, but I, I want to focus on chapter one, and so I'm going to read that to you now. I've got my extra, extra large print Bible, and I'll probably need my glasses with it anyway, just so I don't get in a, a muddle. So I'm going to read you Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they'd lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two husbands, sorry, without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. 
With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women explained, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So there we go. That sets the scene. And as the video told us, um, the first line of the story in the days when the judges ruled, is very descriptive. And actually, if we were to turn back a page in our Bibles, um, the last line in the book of Judges says that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. These were days of real anarchy and unrest in Israel. Um, There was a whole cycle of of the people of Israel doing despicable things, and then the Lord sending judgment on them in the form of um, famine or an invading army, and then the people would cry out to God for mercy. Uh, And this was a cycle that was repeated and repeated. And so here we are at the beginning of um, the book of Ruth, and there is a famine in the land. Uh, And Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, decide to leave uh, Bethlehem in the land of Judah and to head off to look for food. Um, So they were leaving the promised land. This was the land that the Lord had given to them, the place where he was, the place where he dwelt with them, um, and the place where he said he would bless them. But they left that place, and they moved to not just any place, they moved to Moab. Now, Moab um, was founded centuries earlier through the incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughters. 
It was a place uh, where they worshipped pagan gods. It was a place that God had said that they should have nothing to do with. Uh, and no self-respecting Jew would ever choose to go and live in Moab. And you can almost hear their neighbours calling after them as they set off. Naomi, don't go. Come back. Just don't do it. Um, and we, actually, we have no description of their time in Moab. We don't know where they settle. And I kind of get a feel that we're not meant to know. It wasn't home. It never should have been home. Um, and they're kind of left in this place. And the first thing we hear is that Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. And I wonder why she didn't really go back to Bethlehem at that point. Um, had she grown comfortable in Moab? Um, could she not face the journey without her husband by her side? Or maybe her boys had met Moabite brides, which they had. And you wonder, why did Naomi allow her sons to marry these Moabite women? Um, probably because she was hoping to get some grandchildren, grandsons, that would provide for her one day. And then the awful thing happens, and Naomi's sons both die as well, leaving Naomi with her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah. So here she is in Moab, no protection, no security, no provision, and seemingly no future. And what I want to do as, I, uh, as we talk through this story is just pull out some strands. I've got four strands to pull from the story. It's quite hard to actually teach on a story. Um, but the first strand that kind of came to life for me was um, God's providence. That The little video sort of drew attention to this. Um, into this bleak and hopeless picture, um, the book of Ruth demonstrates that God's providence, his gracious goodness, can work even through our foolish mistakes. Um, we know where this story is headed, and we want to say to Naomi, don't give up, don't lose heart, don't lose hope. Um, God intends to bless you, and he's going to draw you back, and he's going to give you a daughter-in-law to be the conduit of that blessing. But of course, she doesn't know any of this at that time. And I want to just encourage us. Um, I don't know if you are in one of those hopeless places where you feel uh, that you're maybe beyond the scope of God's blessing, that you're in a place, or maybe someone you love, you love is in a place um, that puts them outside um, God's gracious care. But with God, there is always hope. And he is sovereign, and he's working his purposes out, and he's doing that for Naomi and Ruth, and he is working something beautiful out of their pain. Um, he's going to do far more than Naomi and Ruth could ever ask or imagine. And he can do the same for us too. And then into this terribly sad situation comes a glimmer of hope. Naomi hears on the grapevine that there is food once again back home in Judah. Uh, it says, the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, verse 6. And Naomi wants to be a part of that. Her sons may have married Moabite brides, her neighbors might worship pagan gods, but Ruth, Ruth, sorry, Naomi's heart remains in Judah through all this time. Uh, and already she's turning towards home. 
And she makes the decision to get out of Moab and go back to the place where the Lord has promised to bless. And this is the second strand that I just want to pull out. And this is repentance. Um, the word, there's, in the verses around here, the word return is used several times. And it's a picture of repentance. And it seems to me that a turning or a returning is often how the best things begin for people in God's story. Um, it's the place where we start on that long road back to restoration. So I've got another question for you. I wonder if you're ever tempted to have your needs met somewhere, anywhere, um, beyond uh, where the Lord would have you. Maybe somewhere forbidden. Maybe somewhere that promises life but actually only delivers death. I wonder what Moab you and I might be in. Where are you or I in a place of darkness or disobedience? Maybe you ran right into that place with your eyes wide open, or maybe you've no idea how you got there. But the Lord calls us back. He calls us back, and he asks us to trust him. Uh, trust him with our truest and deepest needs, and he promises to supply everything that we need. And so the women set off. Um, and I kind of imagine them getting to a brow of a hill, um, a little way out of Moab, and they look back, and there's uh, the town, wherever they've come from. And they look ahead, and they can see Judah in the, in the distance. And Naomi seems to have a change of heart, because she, while the three of them have all set off, she stops and tells the girls, the women, Ruth and Orpah, um, to go home, to go back to Moab. She know, Ruth, um, Naomi knows sorry, that um, they're not going to receive a warm welcome in Judah. Um, they're considered enemies and outsiders. Their, their chances are slim uh, of finding husbands, of having children, and making homes. Um, and so she kind of releases them to go back. She has nothing to offer them either. You know, she's too old. She's not of childbearing age, so she wouldn't um, find a husband. Um, it's not looking good. And actually, it says much, I think, for Naomi's godly character that Ruth and Orpah both want to stay with her. You know, they're really keen to go with her. And I imagine all those years that she's been in Moab, um, she will have taught them about her God back home in Judah, um, about what he has done for her. Um, and her name means pleasant. And I, I think she has, a, I, I imagine her having this lovely relationship with her daughters-in-law um, that in such, such that her faith is attractive to them. So Orpah takes her advice and goes back home. I don't think there's any judgment on Orpah. Um, some people come down quite hard on her. I think it was the reasonable and sensible thing to do, and she was, after all, obeying Naomi. But Ruth shows incredible loyalty and is determined to stick with Naomi, come what may. Normally, when people leave a land to go and live somewhere else, it's because they have a hope and an expectation of a better life. That was certainly true for Naomi. But Ruth knows that there is no future for her in Israel. Um, she knows that her future there is very precarious. But she's determined uh, to go with Naomi. Let me read to you those wonderful verses Ruth replied, 
Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And this decision of Ruth's is absolutely central to this whole story. It's the turning point, not just for Naomi and Ruth, but for the whole people of Israel. God's entire plan for Israel hinges on this apparent insignificant decision of a Moabite widow. And her single act of heroic love really is the key to the whole of Israel's future blessing. And she commits herself in this covenant love to go with Naomi and to serve her and care for her and sacrifice her own prospects for this lonely and vulnerable widow. And that's the third strand, um, covenant relationship. Ruth makes this covenant promise to Naomi and to her God. Even though she's a new believer in this God of Israel, she knows that God requires this uh, depth of love and faithfulness, not just to him, but to each other as well. And of course, that's what was missing at this time of the judges. People didn't care for one another anymore. That was the bottom line. Um, and, And it reflects God's faithful commitment to us. So what does this sort of friendship look like? Well, it's marked by a constancy Um, and a commitment, even when there's nothing in it for ourselves. And I suppose you could um, contrast that with a user type of friendship, where we kind of make that, we wouldn't do it out loud, obviously, but in our heads we're sort of doing that cost-benefit analysis. Is this friendship going to benefit me in such a way that it's worth my while investing? Um, You know, we do it very subtly, but covenant friendship is all about giving and giving and giving again. There's a wonderful proverb, Proverbs 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And I I guess the best example, the easiest example of this is marriage and parenting, where two people make a vow, a covenant of covenant love to each other, um, and we, we give a ring, Um, to remind us, because it's very costly. Um, We're saying that ultimately my life is not about me. I lay aside my preferences and my prejudices, um, and I give myself to the welfare of another. And I kind of feel if Ruth, this poor Moabite widow, has understood this and can do this, then that's a great challenge to us. We can do this too. Because, of course, Ruth suffered her grief in much the same way as Naomi, but it just didn't mark her in the same way. She had found a way to turn her bitterness into blessing. And I wonder how many lonely and vulnerable Naomi's there are, um, even in our orbit um, today. Uh, People who just need someone to get alongside them, to encourage them, Uh, to bless them, to help them get back on track, and to help them to see that God is good and that he's for them. And it's, it's so costly, isn't it? It's costly for Ruth. She left everything that was familiar, 
her homeland, her food, her culture, her friends. She left it all behind in order to go with Naomi. It's costly in the big picture. It's costly in the small picture. My, my um, hardest, well, my saddest verse in this whole story is when they get back to Bethlehem. And Naomi says, um, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Call me Mara, bitter. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, you've got Ruth standing by your side. You've got this amazing vision of beauty who's given up everything for you, and yet she can't see it. She, her life is still bitter to her. And you know, that is costly love when you give and give and, you, and you, you know, you're not appreciated and not seen. Um, I read this um, quote that we're not to use people to build ourselves up, but serve people to build them up. What a challenge. And another proverb, Proverb 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And actually, Oasis is a great place to do this. You know, we can practice this here, and we can, pra you know, we can practice this covenant, committed friendship. And how life-giving it must have been to Ruth, uh, to Naomi, when she eventually realized um, what she had received in Ruth. And that leads us to the fourth strand, which I've called authentic faith. So this is the fact that it's not the pain that defines us, it's our response to it. And I love the way Naomi actually um, lives such a real and a truthful life before God. She doesn't hide her feelings. She's angry, she's sad, she's lonely. Um, you know, she, she feels she's received a bitter pill from the Lord. And she, she, she says it. And I think actually that's so liberating that um, this struggle is in scripture, that you know, our, our walk of faith is not always wonderful and vibrant, and that's okay. And they are, I love the fact that these values that we see in this book are also the values that we have on our vision document here at St. Paul's about being real and loving, um, about being generous, so that we can, uh, we can be real, but we can be changed. And Naomi's faith was certainly real and authentic, even in adversity, and it was um, attractive to Ruth. And so often, I think, the Lord does use our uh, experiences, especially in times of affliction and pain, to speak to other people. Um, and he encourages us not to run from the one that can heal us. This is a bit like the spiritual discipline of lament, um, which... Ruth's ancestor, David, got really good at when he wrote his psalms. But we are to find that place where we can um, create, create a space physically and emotionally for praying, for crying, for um, you know, shouting, for getting angry. All those things are emotions uh, that we need to express before God. And he laments with us. And the way of maturity involves learning how to express our emotions in a helpful way. And my testimony is certainly um, that there is a joy that can only be found through some of these times of pain and tribulation. Um, pain gives us access to places in God's heart that otherwise we don't necessarily experience. And pain also can carve out 
deep channels within us which, in time, the Lord can fill with joy. The Psalms say, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And, you know, life, life is not always straightforward. Um, we have, many of you know, we have five children. That gives us huge opportunity for great joy and delight. And it also gives us very great opportunity for challenge and pain. And, you know, we, we're in that place at the moment. Um, it's hard, you know, it's hard. But the Lord promises to be there. And what, we, what do we do with our disappointments we have a choice. We can bury it or we can bring it to the Lord. And Naomi certainly did that. You know, she said, don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. And I wonder if you ever felt the Lord has dealt bitterly with you. Have you ever wondered if he really is good? What do we do when life doesn't turn out how we'd hoped? When we lose someone, when we have a, a shattered dream, we lose a hope of a baby, um, people do things that are uh, painful and disappointing. Well, God offers us the gift of being comforted. He invites us to bring the loss to him and to trust him with it. And as we consciously place our hope in God, he can meet us in our pain and uh, trust and turn it into good. And he does this through the love of, the, of other people. It's odd that personal pain is actually meant to be shared. They're rarely meant to be purely private matters. And they're make, meant to make us vulnerable to God and others. And Ruth did this beautifully. Hurt can often make us withdraw. And, you know, we don't want to be around people too much. Uh, but Ruth shows us that there are friends who will stick close Orpah decided to take her pain and nurse it on her own and go home. But Ruth chose the other way. So I'm going to stop there. There's more I could say. Um, let's just resolve, as I finish, um, to follow Ruth and Naomi's examples. Let's build relationships in the good times that will sustain us when life gets hard. Uh, and just as they trusted God to the end, trust too that he is guiding you um, and the story of your life to restoration and redemption and resurrection. So I'm going to pray just as I finish and then we can move on. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example of Naomi and Ruth. Thank you that you prove your faithfulness. Thank you that no one is beyond the scope of your grace or outside your offer of salvation. Thank you that when we stray, you're always willing to take us back. Thank you that you do your best work with the emptiness in our life, as you did for Naomi. Would you give us grace to see our pain not as evidence that your hand has turned against us, but rather as an invitation to come towards you and to receive your love and your salvation and your sustaining grace. Thank you that you're greater than our past or our present or our future. Thank you that you're the God that turned water into wine 
you turned ashes into beauty. You turn our hopeless places into greatness. Thank you that you are a miracle-working God. And so, Lord, we accept your invitation, the invitation that you hold out to us this morning to come to you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Julia. There's certainly plenty to be thinking about there. Um, it's time now for us to go into our small groups. So uh, if you know which small group you're in, brilliant. Uh, if you're new and you've not been in a small group before, then come and meet us in the welcome group, which is in the side chapel here to my left, your right. And uh, we will just uh, have a time of um, discussion of what we've got. There's some questions here on the steps for small group leaders to um, we'll get them handed out that you can discuss in your groups. So, uh, yeah, ladies, thank you. And thank you, Juliet, for uh, joining us this morning. It's wonderful to have you with us. So it's time to move.